nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to a Managing Madrid podcast. It is a Sunday edition. We are talking about Roma and Real Madrid, the last preseason game at the Olimpico. Um, and this is a few minutes after the game is finished, after the penalty shootout. And joining me to break this down is Om Arvin. Om, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Um, wasn't, you know, the greatest end to preseason, I think it's fair to say. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, ready to dig in and maybe dissect what we can from uh, preseason, the last game before the start of, of the real campaign. So, uh, just a maybe little disclaimer for the listeners: apologies for any lower quality podcast today or any vehicles, loud vehicles driving by, as you may have just heard. Um, I'm on the west coast of the United States, and where I am, the Wi-Fi is not great. I found a, a coffee shop here. Inside the coffee shop, there's too much music. Outside the coffee shop, it's serene, but also there is traffic that goes behind me. Um, so I apologize for that. And obviously, this is not a recurring thing on the podcast. As you know, if you've been listening, um, um, you and I were talking on Slack throughout the game, just talking about some of the tactical wrinkles, some of the decisions Zidane has made, questioning whether the three-five-two will go into the season. Um, although we really have no indicators of how much of this Zidane will apply to the regular season. I also, on one hand, it's naive to think that this will just be at 3-5-2, this is what we do. I don't think that's what's going to be the case. On the other hand, there's no other explanation of why he would try it in the last two seasons of the preseason games if he's not going to use it, right? Right, so that's what baffles me is, is you know, like, I, I'm always like with preseason, you know, we ought to be careful about what we need to take away. Even with this last one, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say anything super definitive, but I think when you do come to like the last two preseason games of what has actually been quite a long preseason, like we played what, like six preseason games or something like that. Like, and when you're only like a week away from the, from the, the start of the real season, you would think that like the final game starts to be a lot more about preparation for the first couple games and that we need to get more into like, you know, quote-unquote winning mode winning mentality maybe start you know showing some tactics that will prepare us for for what we're going to see going forward just because that makes sense right logically the way preseason would progress is it's mainly about fitness you know it, it's not really so much about results and then as you start progressing towards the final preseason games it's still not really about results but it is definitely about playing seriously making sure everyone's match fit and then maybe start, you know, ironing out a system that will carry you through the first couple of weeks of the season. And, you know, I think we have gotten a little more serious for sure ever since the Atletico game, though the results, you know, they, they've been kind of shaky. But when it comes to like that tactical preparation, which should be more ironed out by this point, like that's why I think the 3-5-2 is slightly concerning just because, like you said, what is the point of playing this formation? if we're not going to go forward with it. It doesn't make sense to go forward with it simply because we only have four center backs for a 
formation that requires a back three. So that's only one backup for three positions. And the place that we are the most stocked, the position that we are the most stocked in is out wide, which the 3-5-2 formation does not allow, you know, for, for any wide players. So it's just puzzling to me that Zidane would choose to do it. And so it, it, it only means two things. One, that we are going to start the season with this formation. Or two, Zidane is not, I mean, not, none of the tactical things he's done is going to like it has been to really prepare us systemically for the for the season. Zidane will figure that out later, and he's still just experimenting. And I'm not, either way you put it, like whether he's not preparing us, you know, with this system for the first couple of games, or whether he is, like both of those like answers, like to, to to the question of why he did this, are not very satisfactory for me. They're actually slightly worrying. So yeah, I mean, we'll 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 see what happens when we play Celta Vigo, but yeah, I I. I just don't know exactly how to justify, you know, the three-five-two being played today. Um, we get a lot of the a lot of the times when we record post-game podcasts, a lot of the questions that come in are kind of duplicate, or at least things we've already talked about, and then um, they kind of come in later at the end of the podcast, and we've already talked about them. So the way I want to do this, and maybe moving forward this season, is for post-game shows, we'll kind of just pepper in the the questions that come. Um, and, and kind of throw them into our discussion instead of taking them all at the end. So patreon.com slash managing Madrid is obviously where you go to pledge, get a bunch of bonus shows which start this week, including the Loan Tracker, um, which starts on Tuesday. Other bonus shows, guaranteed responses to your questions. This question from Brendan Powers, um, he asks, if Zidane decides to use this formation and use this um, as his main go-to, shouldn't Vallejo have been kept or a centre-back been signed um and i think this is something i was going to bring up this is why i answered the question um or i'm taking the question now i think the easiest way to answer this om is is just this it's that you can kind of compare this to the idea of you know during his previous reign why didn't zidane want to back up for benzema or didn't use morata much apart from some league games and the answer is this is that zidane a lot of the times instead of having de facto backups um, like for like swaps for players in certain positions he'd rather just change the scheme entirely um, earlier in his coaching career he would opt to go Asensio false nine instead of Benzema um, if he had to take Benzema off, um, instead of going with Morata in this case I think if if he had to be in a position where he would have kept Vallejo in the team and if this is actually what he wants to use often is the 3-5-2, I think he'll just switch formations. And that's the other thing about Zidane I think we've learned. There's a lot of things we, we've, we haven't been able to decipher with him and that's like we have no idea what we're going to see game in, game out. The 3-5-2 came out of nowhere. He barely used it throughout his entire tenure and, and when he used it, they would have, to, have been to kind of just these makeshift formations. And to finally use it now in an era where our entire discussion has been about um, how are you going to fit Rodrigo and Vinicius and Kubo and 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 uh, and Hazard and Asensio was injured now and Isco and X signing and Van de Beek and Neymar if he comes and to use it now after we've discussed all that and the answer is maybe like none of them is kind of weird to me. So obviously it's unpredictable what he does. But one of the things I can confidently say about Zidane in terms of like just kind of predicting what he'll do is that he won't get, stick to one particular scheme or formation. So if we th- see a 3-5-2 and he has to switch things around instead of going like for like and you know having someone like Vallejo in the squad, if he doesn't want Vallejo in the squad, he'll just kind of shift the formation and, and go with something else so that he doesn't have to run into that problem. 
So I did um, hear one interesting response, like, because I, I tweeted out, you know, on the Managing Madrid account at halftime, like, basically exactly what I said, right? Like, why are we playing the 3 5 2 you know, when we don't have the personnel to play it moving forward. And if you're saying that this isn't preparation for the games moving forward, then why are we playing it at all? And someone responded that, you know, he's just doing it to build up some defensive confidence and stop, you know, the goals from leaking. Um, and he, I mean, he said it's still not working anyway, but that, that kind of intrigued me because that's not the worst explanation in the world, right? It's, it's quite obvious that, hmm. and I'm not, I'm not really saying this because of preseason, because like I, I I mean I'm consistent when I say I don't want to take away too much from preseason I you know that's what I mean when I say when I say that makes sense I'm talking about the last two seasons defensively I'm talking about two seasons worth you know you know a, a, a sample size worth two seasons where it's very clear that we have struggled defensively especially in defensive transition and theoretically what a back three or back five would provide you is that extra center back to defend the lanes behind your, your advancing fullbacks, right? So it, and, and we saw that a little bit versus um, Salzburg where, you know, our fullbacks were bombing forward consistently as, as they do, as, as, as they always do, not just in Zidane's Madrid, but in all attacking teams. And our, our center back actually dealt with things pretty well, going one versus one, winning their key duels. And we always had that extra man to help protect what was happening at the back. And I could see that maybe Zidane is doing this just because he wants to build up some defensive confidence. Just getting those clean sheets will maybe, you know, you know, inspire you know our defenders a little bit, get them to play better individually. But my problem with that is 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 that while you know I can understand why Zidane would do that, it's the it's not just the fact now, but always that Real Madrid's defensive problems have have been largely systemic rather than individual issues. And that's the case because defending is more of a collective effort than it is an individual one. Definitely more than attacking. Because in attacking, you can have one player who can control the ball and therefore control the attack. But when you're defending, you're without the ball just by nature of what defending means. So that needs to happen as a team. You can't have one player running across the entire pitch following the ball you know, to have that to have the impact defensively that like a Lionel Messi would have offensively. It just doesn't work that way. It needs to happen as a collective, which inherently means it's a tactical issue, which means defensive organization, which means drilling communication between not just the back line, but the, 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 the defensive midfield and forward lines, and then having that preparation for when the ball is lost. Either we, we quickly rush back into defensive shape, you know, and form up, we start trying to win the ball back immediately, which is counter-pressing. And under Zidane, we've never seen that consistently. And so, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that Zidane would try to build up some confidence to get individuals to perform better. But at the end of the day, it's a systemic issue. And the 3-5-2 kind of seems like a band-aid, right? Like over key issues, you know, let's just try to have that extra defender and get individuals to perform better, maybe get their confidence up. That may work, you know, for a couple of games, but... We know in the long term that if you don't solve that structural issue, it's going to be a problem forever. And the reason I think that we got away with it in in certain key games in the past is simply because we were in a very unique situation. We had a midfield that was probably the only other midfield that has the argument for the greatest of that decade next to Xavi Iniesta um, and Busquets that could control control the hell out of games. We had Casemiro and Modric covering everything, and it's 
pretty clear that both of those players aren't in those primes and aren't, aren't in their primes anymore. So when you don't have that like really unique situation of ultra talented individuals who can keep doing everything on the fly, it becomes a tactical issue. I think that's really Zidane's biggest challenge moving forward. And it's why I don't think, you know, Band-Aid, issue, Band-Aid solutions are going to work. I don't think the back three is going to solve it all. I don't think there's really anyone in the squad that can, you know, do all of those things that he needs an individual to do to solve those structural issues. We finally have come to the point, I think, where it has to be tactical. And I, I'm not quite sure whether Zidane can, can achieve that or not. The idea that um, you would do something specifically for preseason to boost confidence is not crazy, um, and it's, it's not a bad idea. Uh, Matt and I actually discussed in the last podcast about, you know, historically Brazil going up and beating up on smaller teams or their youth teams before a World Cup to just get the confidence high. I think the problem is the context of this, and you alluded to it a little bit, it's totally different. Um, now, against Salzburg, it worked. I think a lot of it worked by default. Um, now, mind you, like it was amazing cover for Marcelo in that game. Militao was great in that game, I thought. He also... Um, you know, he was always there to cover for Marcelo. Marcelo had a lot of freedom. Um, in other moments, it didn't look good. It wasn't perfect defensively, defensively, and there were holes. But by default, it was a bit better because there were just purely numbers in transition. This game, you can kind of see some of those bigger holes. Like those challenges that Militao had against Salzburg, he was getting beat a little bit more easier in this game. Casemiro, his coverage, not great. Uh, even when he went over to the, the flank and you saw it on the, the opening goal, he got beat. Um, Nacho consistently out of position. So, and but the other thing, Ohm, is like it's not even just the defensive confidence I'm worried about. It's also the offensive confidence, which to me looked shot. It got a bit better towards the end of the game where I thought Bale and Isco came in. Bale and Isco both looked pretty good in terms of at least creating danger in the final third and giving Real Madrid a few chances of waves of possession in the final third. They looked sharp on the ball. Bale didn't really finish his chances, but... I don't know those two kind of were standing like, standing out to me as I was writing my immediate reaction. But in the first half in particular, you look at that team, which, by the way, like before we even talk about the offense, it should be noted that a three-five-two with three central defenders, two wing backs to, to provide you with width defensively and offensively, a defensive midfielder, two box-to-box central midfielders in Modric and Valverde. There is no universe where that team should struggle defensively. That's just. That, that team is built and equipped to be sound defensively. Um, but offensively, you look and like uh, Casemiro, again, struggling, giving the ball away regularly in, in our own half. Um, Carvajal hitting these, like, these prayers down the flank to nobody. Long balls from the center backs that really weren't going anywhere. Hazard isolated and not really getting, getting the ball. There wasn't really that, that transition, that kind of that binding agent offensively that couldn't kind of glue this all together. And it was only a moment of brilliance from Modric and Marcel that finally unlocked something. And then obviously Benzema's goal was offside. Offensively, Casemiro's goal. Oh, sorry. I said, I said Benzema. I meant Casemiro. <laughs> <laughs> um, offensively, I, I'm concerned almost as much as I am defensively. So I, I don't know if I'd say I, I'm as concerned, um, but... I was very concerned about one specific thing with the offense. I think once we got into the final third, especially on the left-hand side, it seemed like we had enough, you know, to, to, to create danger. And it, the final pass was just off sometimes. But I felt especially between Marcelo and Benzema, they looked quite sharp. It's the fact, and I think this influences 
your worries about, you know, that lack of connection, that lack of glue you were talking about. It's the fact that we were just unable to control the game, right? Like, we didn't have actual spells of possession. When we did attack, it was just trying to zip the ball upfield. You know, we'd get it into Ford's feet. They try to combine, do something, and they get it, you know, into the box. There was none of that sense of like what was really like the height of Zidane's tenure, and even in portions of 17-18 season where we possess the ball, slow things down, you know, rotate from side to side, and slowly try to build our way to the flanks. We did not see any of that in this Roma game. And I think part of it was down just to the person on the field. Like you mentioned that we had a pretty defensive lineup. Like Casemiro, when when your defensive midfielder is unable to pass the ball, you know, 10 yards in front of himself for an entire half, it's going to affect your ability to, to control the ball. But also, like, I think just maybe the profile of the mids we had, like I think Valverde, given his box-to-box energy, like I think he can sometimes kind of get sucked into the energy of the game if it's like really end to end instead of like sitting there and trying to slow it down you know he'll 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 just he'll just follow whatever the flow of the game is and which which helps in a sense that like he's always there defensively he's always trying but it doesn't exactly help us control the game and modric really was i think the only player trying to do that because we know modric has that all around quality but it's not the same modric that we know before so he just wasn't able to exert the same influence and so when you have that it's going, when, when your midfield is really not capable of slowing the game down, you know, resisting the press, circulating the ball, it's going to inherently affect our ability to get into the final third and create. And I think also Hazard, I really hesitate to say that he cannot play that role because he can. He's, you know, especially um, in the 17-18 season under Conte, they played 3-5-2 a lot. And Hazard played in that second striker role. But I think it was rather clear that that wasn't where you got the best of Hazard. Like, he, he could do it. He played really well. But that wasn't the Hazard that, like, we spent $100 million on. Um, because, mainly just because he's comfortable receiving between the lines, but when that's the only thing he has to do, he, he, he can't play at the same level, for example, that Benzema can. He needs those moments where he, he swings out to the left, receives the ball deep, can face up the defense, and then run at them and create something. So I think... That, that to me was not a key issue, but it was a factor added on to our midfield issues that made our attack look rather impotent. But to me, I think the defense was still just catastrophically worse because we did have those bright moments you know, where something did happen. But on defense, just every single time we lost the ball, I thought we were going to concede. Like I genuinely didn't see a bright moment defensively in that first half. Well, the... Another game that jumps out in terms of Hazard playing a role like this is, you know, even under Sarri um, against Manchester City, where they played ultra defensively, soaked up everything, and it was literally just get the ball to Hazard and see how many defenders he could beat and create something. And now, like, I'm not, I'm not entirely against the idea of playing defensive. Um, I think if you do it right, it's actually quite breathtaking. We saw it under Carlo Ancelotti against Bayern, most famously. But um, if you have the right personnel, you have the right tactics, um, you can defend really well, you can plug all the holes and just have really quick players blitz you um, on the counterattack, and it's quite nice. The problem, you know, I think in this context is that it doesn't, it's not that. <laughs> it's not like you had a defensive formation without playing super defensive, this is the other thing. Um, so like you had this disjointed press which like worked early on but it 
it also fell apart. You had a bunch of players to plug the middle, but uh, Chenjig Under completely sliced the entire team on that pass to Dzeko on, the, on their second goal. Um, the plan and the build-up is unclear. And with Sarri, I thought, while Chelsea, Chelsea looked toothless in attack for most of it, there were also games where, like, I, I understood what he was doing. And, and it's not my favorite kind of football, but I mean, like, if you're going to play that way, you have, to, you have to do it properly. You can't just kind of half-ass it and play kind of in between two different worlds. Um, I was... I'm not your your point about like I guess controlling the tempo, which to me was never apparent. I'm not sure if they're consistently like when it peaked in terms of us imposing our tactics, our philosophy, our game plan, our offense, like by sheer will and and control. It really peaked in that Super Cup against Barca in that second leg. I'm not sure we've seen that kind of dominance since. Um, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily talking about like, well, I mean, oh, sorry. I, I think I may have been misinterpreted. Are you saying that like we didn't see that in the Zidane era or like since that point we have not seen that? I've seen, I, since that point, we've seen it sporadically. With okay, yeah, okay, that's fair. I thought for but a like second a cons- you were saying. No, I think, I think part of the, like, we've, we've come back that Super Cup like kind of here and there since it happened you know like once every few months we we circle back to it we're like what happened this is me bringing up one of those moments now and like because like a lot of us really felt like this was a turning point like in a shift in power um and mm-hmm. while we've seen it sporadically you know like we've seen some great games i think we've obviously had three nil in turin um we've had good pretty great performances since but in terms of consistently just overpowering our opponent we haven't really seen it consistently after that peak. Yeah, so, I think so, so. This is my point. Is all this is that it's not. There are a lot of people who are like it's just preseason, and I agree with that. There's validity to that point. There is this this entire underlying thing of like, just there there are clear deeper problems than it's just preseason. I think I think the idea of it's just preseason is an easy way out of the discussion. Well, I think it is if you're not willing to acknowledge. Like, I think if you just... My issue is, like, people just using this preseason as an isolated sample size to then say, like, all the issues are coming from here. I think, really, like, the way I put it is, like, it doesn't matter, but that doesn't mean we don't have issues going forward because if you, like, literally look just, like, half a season before this preseason, you know we're kind of playing the same way. And to me, the issue is that it's like reflective of a longer term, not the fact that we're not like giving 150% in preseason, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. Um, And here's me just kind of reflecting on what we've seen in preseason, but also what we've seen in the past couple of years, but also what we've seen under Zidane during that three-peat. If you ask me if Real Madrid are one of the favorites to win the Champions League this season. I'd put them a tier in the second tier, like behind the cities and Liverpools. I'd even put them behind Juve and Barca. But I also think it's possible that they can win the Champions League this year. I, I think that's, that's totally in the realm of possibility. And the reason is because this team has a certain individual brilliance to it. And Zidane has so many offensive variety that he can choose from that eventually you can just show up in big games. And... And, um, like, you know, we kind of saw it in the end of this, this game, even. Like, you know, when Bale and Isco came on and Vinicius dribbling kind of opened up the game a little bit. Jovic 
um, didn't take his chances shots at the goalkeeper, but did really well to get in those goal-scoring positions in the first place. And I thought his pressing was pretty good. His effort was good. Um, but also, this game has, you know, these friendlies have like 300 substitutions you can choose from. The margin of error is a bit much smaller um, when it comes to when the season starts. And part of the reason why I'd be more confident in this team winning the Champions League again over winning the league is because we haven't seen consistency throughout these few years. What we have seen has been one-off games where the team looks brilliant, the tactics are actually good, or the, the, the game is bailed out by an individual brilliance of, of a certain player or a certain sequence. Um, but the idea of consistently showing up and not relying on those specific moments is what concerns me about this team from a domestic standpoint. Yeah, it has been... I, I, I think, we, I mean, we've said this many times, I think it's just kind of a consequence at least partly of just the ways that Don approaches games. Like if you're not going to be consistent um, tactically, and when I say consistent tactically, I just mean an approach, not even effectiveness. It's just always harder in the league. I think, especially when your problem is like your, your key problem is defensive transition, because it's always in those games when you just motivated, you know, if the Champions League music comes on, you just feel like I'm going to give more than I've ever given tonight or, or I'm going to give more than I've ever given in my life to win this game. It's a little easier for Modric and Casemiro to like plug like 15 holes on the counterattack for 90 minutes and scrape through. Whereas it's over 38 games, that's just much harder. And if you're also going to switch formations five to six times throughout that those 38 games, you know, the, the chemistry is always going to be a little lacking. The build-up plan is never going to be quite clear. And while you might, and, and that's probably going to, you know, lead to you losing against Barcelona, where Valverde plays a consistent 11 and you have Lionel Messi on the other side. On the flip side, that has generally always kept players fresh for key games. So it's like Zidane has always kind of been comfortable with that payoff. But Again, like I, I think it's always been what made Zidane so successful was his ability to kind of balance that out, for him to understand how to use his squad, how to rotate to cover his weaknesses. I just think that that era has passed. I, don't, I honestly believe that like whoever he signs, and he signed a lot of players, there's a lot of people that are, like, are talking about this transfer window is bad. We've spent $300 million. We've got Hazard. And we've got key players you know, to fill weaknesses in key positions with the exception of central midfield. And it looks like Van de Beek is coming anyway. It's even with all those signings, it's like there was an all-time era that had unique conditions that allowed for Zidane's management style to work. I just don't see any other way forward than Zidane having to change the way he did things. Like I, I, I genuinely at this point don't really think it's about the players he has because I, he's gotten almost every single player he's wanted it's not going to be the same as last time, you know, regardless of like the certain quality that, that you're getting, because that was a very unique period. Zidane has to improve tactically in some areas. Otherwise, like you're saying, it's pretty much just like, yeah, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to get the league. I'll give us a higher shot for the champions league, but I don't even think we're favorites for it. Yeah. I, th I think this, this team has brilliance, but not consistency. Um, and that is just something you can't rely on um, unless you have a systemic structure in place. Uh, to your point, Zidane, this is really like he at this point, he will have no excuses if things go wrong. Like he, there's no there's no like, you know, he's not taking over a dead season. He's not playing meaningless games anymore. He got players he wanted to and the players, you know, he wanted at the club tried that they couldn't get, i.e. Pogba. Um, 
is there anything else about this game that you want to discuss before we move to some questions? No, uh, I mean, I just like I, I, I guess I was just happy with Vinicius again. You know, like I, I kind of like the way he's adapting to the right wing a little bit. I mean, I my key worry that he's, it just kind of takes a key part of his game out is still there. But I think he he's still finding ways to be effective, and I think he can turn into a real crossing threat from there. Um, you know, he's just he's just a joy to watch. I, I feel like he is out of weirdly enough out of everyone we have. He consistently shows up and creates danger, at least does something every single game, which is really weird to say about like an 18 year old. But yeah, I mean, it's it's good that we have him in the ranks, um, and I just really hope that we can find a way to like incorporate him adequately in the season and give him the playing time that he deserves. I think he will get playing time, um, regardless if unless unless Ramja end up getting Neymar, then obviously he goes further down the depth chart a little bit, but. Um, even in a formation where, um, you know, there was only two attackers to start, he you know he got minutes. He changed he changed the complexion of the game in many ways. You know, obviously he still has a bit of issues in terms of making the exactly perfect decision in the box when he gets into good positions, shooting positions. He still forces shots. Um, I don't know if he's just kind of in his own head because he can't score. But um, I thought him. Jovic, Bale, and Isco, you know, the subs that came in the second half were encouraging to me. Um, Ilian Zako, one of our patrons, he says, I just watched the Roma game start to finish, and dare I say I'm hopeful as long as Zidane does not play the suicidal 4-2-4, I think the team can really win something this season. Militao was great, Jovic moments were good, and he was unlucky not to score. I think it's a matter of him settling in and scoring his first goal. Uh, then we'll have an absolute beast on our hand. Vinicius is getting back to his former self bit by bit and Marcelo I thought was our best player on the night even though the first goal was his fault. I really think that we do not need Neymar at all but we need an all-around midfielder and we will be just fine. What are your thoughts? Um, I think our assessment of the game was a bit different. I don't know if I would agree with um, a lot of this. I, I mean, I agree with some things but in general I think this is a more positive take uh, than, than what I saw in the game. Um, I mean, particularly, I, I don't know if I'd say Militao was great. Like, at the same time, I, I wouldn't say, like, I thought he was the reason that we lost. I just think he was put in such poor situations. And unlike the Salzburg game, he just wasn't able to handle it this time, right? Like, there was, like, that key moment. I think, like, the key moment that represents that is when Zaniolo was on the left. You know, he'd been, he'd been played into that area because there was no cover whatsoever. It was one versus one. Yeah. And Militao, like, maybe in if he was playing at his best game would have made that tackle but he was just a second late and Daniolo burst past him so like that was the type of situation our defenders were in um and so yeah I, I couldn't say he was great but I, I do feel for him and I don't really blame him for for you know the, the chances that we gave up I think I think when he said like Jovic movements were good I mean I think that echoed what you said um it, it does look like Vinicius is, is going to be like his 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 self in, in the past season and I do think Marcelo played very well um, on on the offensive end. I thought he was our most influential player offensively. He scored that goal. You know, he, he did look quite sharp every time he had the ball, you know, on the left wing. And then he had that beautiful pass to Casemiro for that second goal, which ended up being offside. But I thought he was very influential. In terms of, yeah, like the tracking back, I thought it was a classic Marcelo. I don't think it was as egregious as some of the times that we saw 
in the seven in the eighteen nineteen season. Sorry, eighteen uh, nineteen season, not the seventeen eighteen season. Um, but again, it was more like on that goal. You know, the first goal. It was kind of a question of like, no matter what, especially when you're playing in like that type of formation, your fullbacks need to be that high up the field. And when you lose the ball in that situation, it would probably help to have like a counter press. So, and if you don't, then the ball is going to zip past your fullbacks. They'll have no time to recover. And it's going to be Zaniolo one versus one with Nacho, which is probably not going to go well for you. So it's kind of that thing of like, I can, I think you can always see ways in which our individual defenders could, could do better, especially Marcelo, you know, who you always feel can give more on that defensive end, who's probably our weakest defender. But at the same time, it's like structurally, we never, we never put our defenders in like a good place to actually do defensive work because structurally we're just lacking, especially in defensive transition. Yeah, I think of all times to blame Marcelo for being out of position, I think that first goal would have been harsh to pin it on him because mm. the wing backs in three five two, as you mentioned, um, are kind of they have kind of a luxury to have three center backs across the pitch the outside ones covering for them. Plus, in this particular situation, um, and, mo- and in most 3-5-2s, a lot of midfield coverage where he can he can kind of have that comfort. And if you remember on that goal, Casemiro was there. He just got absolutely destroyed. Um, and, right, then, yeah. and, you know, on the opposite flank, obviously, you mentioned that Zaniol inside. I think that's the one I had down the 22nd minute where Militao on the opposite flank, um, not up to par. Again, like with Militao, you know, and Casemiro, to be frank, I guess, because you kind of have to apply, apply this across the board. Um, you know, main they they will probably, assumingly, sharpen themselves a little bit as the season goes on, and they did ha- they did join the team a little bit late. Um, three Neymar questions slash comments that come in, and Neymar is interesting because you and I disagree about whether Real Madrid need him or not. Um, so let's I'm going to read all of these together. Essa Hariri says, do you think Neymar can help us so much with creativity from the midfield that we don't need to sign a midfielder with that role? Um, Pascal Sayed says, hi guys, I wonder if Neymar transfers no more logical than Mbappe considering all the young players we have as a winger slash forwards like Rodrigo, Vinicius, Brahim, Odegaard, Kubo and Asensio. Many of them are not ready to take a star spot in Real Madrid right now. Probably they need some years. Uh, until then, you can replace Neymar and Hazard with those players. Yes, I know it's a lot of questions about this, but I feel it's an aspect to consider. And Rafael Servia says, Did you guys read the BS report, BS support article about the Real Madrid Neymar bid, 120 million plus motors? They are so transparent. This to me is sports' way of making Kool-Aid scared of Real Madrid getting him, that they forced Barcelona management into buying him. Um, um, I guess Rafael is saying the sport article, um, the, the Barcelona-based newspaper who reported it. Yeah, Matt and I also talked about that bit a little bit on the last podcast. Um, how do you want to gut this? I, I think maybe we can start with, um, I guess, how much would Neymar help with the creativity offensively? And how much, if, if he comes... Um, does that affect our defense? Like you and I talked about this on Slack quite a bit. Uh, Matt and I discussed it on the last podcast. Um, and I, I ultimately, I think I convinced him that Neymar would be a good signing. And I still really believe that. But you have a bit of an altering view on this. Yeah, so 
my overall perspective is just I think there's a lot of risk factors with signing this guy that doesn't make it worth it really in the end for me. And I, I think it also just so you have these risk factors with one, I think, is his personal issues, um, you know, both on and off the field. Um, you know, and in the on the field stuff, I think, is what will have the bigger effect on the football. It's just clear that kind of wherever he's went, especially at PSG, he's had a negative impact at the dressing room. He's managed to alienate first Cavani and then Mbappe. I mean, two key attackers that he has to coexist with. And, you know, that that's kind of a red flag. You know, he, you have you have that. Then you have his injury history, which twice in a row he suffered serious injuries that has taken him out for half a season. And I think it's worth really worth asking asking at 27 years old, you know, how much of Neymar are we actually going to get when we spend all this money to get him? You have those risk factors. And then on top of that, we have Hazard playing in his position, really. Um, and getting them to coexist, I don't think is like impossible or anything like that. But it's a question of like, when you're going to spend, like, I mean, and when, when we try to get Neymar, it's going to easily be over 100 million. So we're going to spend at least 200 million to get Hazard and Neymar. And it's like, we're going to get them with at least one of them definitely not playing in their best position. You know, it, it feels kind of weird. And It'll, it'll be that struggle to incorporate them. I still think it would work, right? I think Neymar would be my pick to kind of play in the center. I don't think I'd prefer any of them playing on the right. But once you do that, I think, like you mentioned earlier, it knocks Vinicius and all our other young wingers down the pecking order. And to me, it's like the only way it's worth it to really take minutes from those guys. And I think this would rather quite damage a lot of their hopes is if we don't have the talent to win now and I don't know if everyone agrees with me but I think you and I earlier in the podcast did agree that we actually do have the talent to win now and it's more on Zidane to do so so if we do have the talent to win now then in my view it doesn't really make sense to compromise the future where the uncertainty is greater for the present where I feel like the certainty of our of our talent's quality is greater so you have all of that and then I think you also have to consider the fact that we've already spent so much money that where are we going to get the funds from? And if we do, we would have spent so much money at the point it has to be absolutely worth it. And then my final, which, which kind of relates to like, you know, you're going to pay $200 million and one of Hazard or Neymar is not going to pay like their, you know, Ballon d'Or level selves for the money that you have paid by virtue of them, you know, playing the same position. And then my final issue is how that will affect defense, defensive transition. I mean, we've already pretty much established that it's, you know, close to kind of a disaster, the way we defend when we immediately lose the ball. And I just think it gets way worse than Neymar when, when Neymar arrives. It is true that Neymar was not really that big of a liability defensively when he was with Barcelona, as you mentioned before. But he left and went to PSG, I think partly because he didn't like those defensive duties, which is why his offensive numbers increased to like his absolute peak, and he also became a huge liability defensively. I think it was Nico Morales on the Athletic who wrote an article about this. How you know did Neymar like his his did he actually impact the net goal difference of PSG better than he did at Barca? Because his offense got way better, 
but also defensively, the entire team needed to be structured around Neymar kind of not doing his defensive work. And I don't know if he's going to be willing to come back and take on that Barcelona role. And if he's not, then we have Hazard, who's pretty famous for not really doing that much defensive work. You'd have Neymar, and then you have a catastrophic you know, structure in defensive transition. It's just like, what is the actual net goal difference impact that Neymar would have? And I'm not sure it's big enough to justify one, the transfer fee and all those other risk factors. Uh, there's a helicopter flying over my head, so I tried to leave my microphone muted as much as possible. But um, <laughs> compelling points. Here's here's my take. I don't think Hazard on his own is enough to to transcend this offense. Obviously, he's he's one of the best attacking players in the world. I don't think. I don't think he's enough. Um, on the flip side, there is enough talent in this roster to help him. There is no issue of talent. I have no issue of talent. You know, the problem is I have I have issue with how that talent will be used. I, I know that Bale and James are not going to play an integral part. I think Vinicius if Hazard and Hazard, if they can coexist together, problem solved. I don't think Zidane will play them together regularly. And um, let's be honest. Vinicius is not a polished player like Neymar in terms of just cold-bloodedly taking his chances. Um, his creativity is good. His defensive awareness is good. He's not obviously Neymar yet. Um, I think Hazard needs that that help that consistently. And Neymar is like the one name that I think would would be a guaranteed spot on the team sheet along with Hazard. So we would instantly have those two on the team sheet which gives me a lot more confidence breaking teams down on a consistent basis than Hazard plus take your pick of Lucas Vasquez or just an isolated two-man uh, attack with Benzema that gives me a lot more confidence than this season that we would have if Neymar was here um, you mentioned obviously his his defense and if the, if the team would um, would suffer defensively more. I, I just not sure how this team could possibly suffer more with Neymar on the team, like uh, uh, more than it's already suffering. I think defensively is a bit underrated. I, I do agree that he would demand a certain amount of freedom. And you and I, when we were talking about Slack, and you know, we're talking about how much he helped Barcelona defensively and Alba, particularly, that kind of went unnoticed, and especially in that last season he had, which was probably his best year. Um, but that maybe he doesn't want to play that way um, now. And he wants more freedom. But I, I just think having... I also don't think he's going to be a complete black hole or like a sieve where like you're, you're concerned about how much the team would drop off defensively than it already has. Um, Neymar, to me, is exactly... And I mentioned this to Matt in the last podcast. Is what you want... One of your players like Vinicius or Rodrigo or Kubo to eventually develop into. So if you already have that player, then you've kind of accelerated the process. And in terms of the funding, it really depends on how the deal looks. Assuming, I, I mean, like we already kind of know that the club has been trying to do this, but one of the prerequisites for getting Neymar at this point really has to be that you have to offload Bale and James for this deal to work. Which means you fund some of it that way and getting rid of Bale's salary on his own is going to be something that you know the club can look at and be like, okay, now we can justify paying Neymar what he wants. Um, the funding aspect of it, I don't imagine they'd get him without being able to offload James and, and or uh, Bale anyway, which to me means that if a 
if a deal like this were to go down, it would have to include either one or two players going back to PSG or Real Madrid being able to sell Bale to Bayern, which might be the, the last like possible landing spot at this point. Um, and Chamez would really have to, they'd have to figure out how to get him to Napoli, hopefully not Atletico. But to me, it requires a, domi- a few dominoes. And I don't think we'd have the conversation anyway unless they could offload one or two of those players. So I just have like, I think two more points kind of, to, I think, expand on what I was saying about defensive transition. So I think one is like, to me, really the only way to incorporate Hazard and Neymar together as I think to play basically a 4-2-3-1. Um, I just, I'm not really comfortable at all like spending, you know, 200 million on these two players and making one of them play on the right-hand side. Like, sure, like, I can't say they would be bad, but I mean, like, what is even the point? Like, if you're spending that much money on these world-class players and, and you're playing them on the right, like, probably is like, I'd, I'd rather play both as a striker than, than, than play them on the right. So I think it has to be 4-2-3-1 with, you know, has one of them is going to play as a number 10 which automatically reduces you to two midfielders for potentially six that we have. And probably, I'd say Kroos is going to have to start, you know, just because he's probably our best midfielder by a long way. And I do believe he will get back into form. So you have a Kroos-Hazard-Neymar triangle on the left in that 4-2-3-1. And we've dropped a midfielder. I can easily see how that could get worse in defensive transition. And even if we give, even if we say, which is not totally ridiculous to say, Neymar comes here and he decides to work at close to the level of you know what he did at Barcelona, it's not going to be the same because one, I think Neymar is going to demand offensive freedom to move where he pleases. And if he's going to play in a number ten role, that's I mean, it's that's just going to be part of it. But you have that within the fact that Zidane never really has much of an offensive structure. And if if he does have an offensive plan, it's always to emphasize fluidity. And that's going to play into the fact that Hazard likes to roam anyway. And so when you have two players who pretty much have total freedom to roam under a manager who, who, who constantly wants to give his attackers freedom to roam, there's absolutely no conceivable way to build a counter-pressing structure from that. Because counter-pressing is all about where your players are positioned offensively right after they lose the ball. And with that roaming, with two central midfielders behind them, with one of them probably being close, it does, I think it is logical to question what the net impact of Neymar would be. And I I do think pretty uncontroversially, the net impact will be positive. But the main issue for me is, will it be positive enough, one, to justify the price and justify all of Neymar's personal issues and injury history. And it's just, I, I, I should be jumping up at the thought of getting a Neymar. And the fact that I'm not jumping up at the thought of getting him makes me question whether this is actually really necessary and really worth it for all those factors that I mentioned. I just can't convince myself into buying it. Now, the scenario that I would buy into it is one, if we didn't sign Hazard and Neymar didn't have his personal issues, to me, then the only real risk is like his injury issues, and I'd be willing, like even if I could get six months of that, Neymar would help us. But we have those two things, unfortunately, and that's why I just can't buy into it. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I genuinely hope I'm wrong. I genuinely hope I'm wrong because if I'm wrong, then it means we get probably the best 
left winger in the world and at least the third best player in the world to work really well for us, which which will definitely be helpful. The injuries definitely do concern me. Um, to me, that that could be potentially a deal breaker, and it should be a deal breaker if they're really concerned that he can't stay healthy, because that that is a big red flag to me, even more so than the character problems. I think because um, you look at his body type. First of all, he's he's not like built to take a bunch of blows over his career I think and he's one of the most provocative players in the history of football he's going to get knocked around so much that like you have a guarantee that he's almost going to miss time and throughout the recent history it's you know we've been shown that he's missed the most crucial part of the season in the last two years for PSG has it been more than two years at least two years right where he misses the like the absolute climax of the season where the absolute need the last two seasons he pretty much got injured in the winter like there was one like in the middle of the champions league tie with us he got injured and i think it was kind of the same thing again like i think it was january where he got injured so it was like he missed the two crucial portions of the season for psg the last two seasons right and then obviously the world cup and then the copa america um he didn't play and I think the World Cup he played, but he really wasn't himself, and like you know, he, he wasn't a hundred percent. The character stuff does concern me, but not to the point where I think it would infiltrate the dressing room. Um, and I also think that's part of the reason why he would do well at Barca too. Is that regardless of what his character is, everyone his teammates at Barca love him, and then at Real Madrid, obviously he is he has a lot of friends too, um, namely Marcelo and Casemiro. I think he would integrate them into the team. Um, but the injuries do concern me. I'm like at the positional thing. I'm I'm less worried about than you. Part of that is because I think I have a bias towards um, players being more uh, players in attack being more interchangeable than maybe we give them credit for. I think you know people. A lot of people say Bale should play on the left. I think he can play both both sides perfectly. I feel that way about Asensio. I think you know we saw. McManaman go to the left when Figo arrived. We saw Zidane go to the left and play alongside Roberto Carlos when, when Figo was there on the right. It it's at some point it's overkill, but I do think in this particular scenario it, it can work. But um I do think Neymar, if he's healthy, which is a big question mark, kind of transcends a lot of schematic holes in that he can just put the team on his back and and step up in big games when needed and also he has i think he's a consistent performer but um, so one thing to clarify is obviously this is not like coming from zidane in the in the sense that like he did not spawn our interest in neymar this has been in interest since like 2011 when like the world first got whiff of neymar from youtube comps but Obviously, Zidane has blessed, like, given his blessing for this, right? Otherwise, there's no way we could have gotten this far. And, like, maybe not, case, though. I don't know. Maybe he hasn't. I don't know if he completely wants Neymar. I think this may be a Florentino push because it's an opportunity for him because PSG don't want to sell the Barca. But that's just a hunch. I don't, I don't know if Zidane is completely. Okay, that's, that's interesting to me. Um, because if it isn't, that's, that's very interesting, obviously, because. There's a well-publicized power struggle between Zidane and Florentino, but if it is, it's interesting in the sense that to me it confirms that like a lot of these signings that Zidane is making and asking for, like I think he's just kind of trying to replicate that essence of our treble-winning team, which was that he he wants individuals to cover for certain tactical deficiencies, 
And Zidane will contribute from his end by rotating them adequately, keeping them motivated and getting them to work hard. And Neymar would kind of fit that bill in that, like, I can see a whole host of, like, defensive tactical issues it would create. And I could see how Zidane's tactics wouldn't help that at all. But I also see how Neymar would help overcome almost single-handedly a lot of offensive issues that we have. And to me, that just kind of plays in with the theme of, of, of how I've seen Zidane manage his team. Um, but yeah, if, if he's not giving his blessing to it, that is very, very interesting and um, probably not a good thing that we're pushing for Neymar because Zidane doesn't want him. But yeah, that, that I have no idea about, which is why I asked. Okay, one last question before we wrap it up. Frederick Rantakiro says, this is just a completely hypothetical question, but let's say that in a few years, we have two players of equal skill playing in the same position, and one of them is from Japan, and the other is from, I don't know, Norway. Do you think a player's ability to gain new followers should be taken into the equation when choosing the player to go for? Yeah. I mean, I think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're saying they're equal skill, then the only thing that would differentiate them is how they can impact the commercial side. So yeah, I think it's a pretty simple yes. That's a pretty simple yes to me too. Just like if we're in a hypothetical where it's like literally their skill set is identical. Now this is like an impossible scenario because every every player will right. be slightly different from the other player, and uh, you know you might value one particular skill more than another in the context of the particular team you're building. But in a hypothetical scenario where it's like um, literally a carbon copy of the same player, but one of them is more marketable than the other, then it's then you definitely do side with the marketability side of things. Um, oh, Marvin, I think we, this is a good time to wrap it up because my, uh, my battery is going to die soon and I have to go back and in charge and <laughs> produce this podcast. So um, anything to plug before we wrap it up? Uh, no. Um, just that, like, if you weren't aware, somehow season's starting up, so put all those games on your calendar. Because I wouldn't have blamed you if you slept through this preseason. I like clocked out the last ten minutes. I messaged I messaged you on Slack about that. But yeah, it's time for all of us to get back in the game. So get those games up on your calendar. Set your alarm clocks, fans in India. The the real season starting up, and no matter how dour it looks, I'm excited. You know, I have that a bit of excitement is returning. I just want to see Real Madrid play actual games again. Yeah, I'm excited. It's it's this is it. This is the uh... This is finally the, the season starting. We finally get to cover meaningful games and we finally get to analyze the, the matches without feeling guilty about going too deep into preseason and overanalyzing things. So this is, this is our dream as tactical um, analysts. So um, thanks for, for listening, guys. Matt Wiltsey and I will be back on Tuesday to do a loan tracker and talk about Ceballos' performance with Arsenal, among other things, and set up some of the loan needs and preview them. Um, Diego and I will be doing Churros y Tacticas on Monday, which you should subscribe to. And uh, and I guess until next time, this is your host, Kian Sabani, signing off. And Omar, Marvin, thanks for joining me. And Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.